Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I had an older brother who was born with a rare hereditary disease called X-linked myotubular myopathy. They called it floppy baby syndrome. They even used the term at some point like a bad baby. He ended up living um, 18 months. Welcome to Right Lane, a podcast of the Tampa Bay Times. Each week, Times reporter Lane DeGregory discusses her stories and answers your questions. The focus is on craft. My name is Maria Carrillo, and I'm the Enterprise Editor at the Times. So earlier this month, we ran the serial narrative that we talked about in the last podcast. It's called Lincoln's Shot. Nearly three years of reporting, months of writing and editing, ultimately an eight-part series. Lane and I have both done a lot of projects over the years, but not one quite like this one. We wanted to use the podcast to dissect the project. So over the next eight weeks, we're going to take these chapters one at a time and talk about the decisions we made and the challenges we faced. Normally, we send you back to the website to read full stories, but this was a special effort and it feels natural to listen to it together. You can, of course, still read it at tampabay.com slash Lincoln's Shot. Lane is going to read part one, and then we'll tell you how this thing came together. So ready? Here she goes. Chapter one, The Curse. When Maggie's older brother was born, his face was blue, his body limp. He couldn't move anything but his right hand and his eyes. No one knew it was wrong. Doctors drew his blood, listened to his heart, sliced a sliver of muscle from his thigh. It took three months to get answers. Floppy baby syndrome, they finally said. His grandmother had a simpler way to explain it. A bad baby. That was 1986, and Maggie Hold German's brother Adam was only the sixth boy in the country diagnosed with X-linked myotubular myopathy. It is a fatal, inherited disease caused by a defective gene, which makes muscles extremely weak. It affects primarily boys. Girls can be carriers. For the first year, Adam never left the hospital. Dozens of doctors, nurses, and respiratory therapists studied him and struggled to keep him alive. His family, who lived in Atlanta, went to the library at the Emory University School of Medicine searching for information, but found only one page about the disorder in a journal. Just before Christmas, doctors sent Adam home. There was nothing else they could do. His grandparents, aunts and uncles, sold three houses, six cars, and all their jewelry to pay his medical bills. They bought a house a mile from the hospital and moved in together to take care of him. Maggie was born soon after. Adam came home. Their family called her the little light in our dark world. They settled her into a crib with her brother, who couldn't reach out to touch her, but liked to follow her with his eyes. One morning, when Maggie was four months old, their grandmother gave her a bottle. Then she handed Adam his stuffed frog. Maggie was curled in the corner, drifting back to sleep, when Adam suddenly stopped breathing and died beside her. He was 18 months old. Maggie's mother, who was only 18, crumpled with grief. Maggie's father wasn't around much, so her aunt raised her. Before Maggie started school, two infant cousins died from the same disorder. 
relatives buried the three boys beside each other in caskets the size of coolers. Her brother became a photo she was shown, a story she was told about the curse her family carried. She grew up under the shadow of death. When I was really young, Maggie said, I used to lie in bed at night, cupping my hands over my mouth to make sure I was still breathing. She was playing with dolls when her grandmother first warned her that if she had a baby, it would die like her brother. She started taking birth control pills at 16. Her grandmother made her promise she would never get pregnant. Maggie met Anthony DeLuna her senior year in show choir at Bloomingdale High in Tampa. He was smart without being stuck up. Sturdy, dependable, the friend everyone leaned on. Classmates voted him most likely to be super dad. She was beautiful, Anthony said, way out of my league. So positive and passionate and just magnetic. Everyone was drawn to Maggie. They started hanging out at rehearsals, going to Mimi's cafe afterward. She learned he played the cello. He found out she danced ballet. We dove in deep from the get-go, Anthony said. We talked about everything. Space, God, life, what it means. The first time Maggie brought Anthony home, before they could play Mario Brothers, her grandmother sat him down in the living room, across from a photo of Adam. She pointed to the boy's long face and sad eyes and warned him about the family's fate. I heard her, but it didn't matter, Anthony said. We were so young, and we weren't even really dating. All I wanted was to be with Maggie. She went off to Mercer University in Georgia to study psychology. He enrolled at the University of South Florida to major in business. When Maggie finished college, she moved back to Tampa to get a master's in social work and to be with Anthony. They started planning a life together. Good jobs, a comfy house with a big backyard, two cats at least. They were going to camp with fireflies in Tennessee, hike along fjords in Norway. Anthony's dad had been divorced six times, so Anthony told Maggie he didn't believe in marriage but he wanted to be with her forever, and he longed to be the father he never had. He kept telling her he didn't care about the curse. They could adopt. Plenty of kids needed families. Maggie always felt she was meant to be a mom, but knew she couldn't risk having children of her own. She was faithful about using birth control. So when she missed her period in the spring of 2013, she was shocked. She took three drugstore tests, but still didn't believe it. A doctor confirmed the pregnancy. She and Anthony were horrified and overjoyed. They worried for two months until they learned they were having a girl. Then they thanked God and called their parents. In the evenings, after work, they spun visions of their daughter's childhood, music and dance lessons, trip to the zoo, art museums. Of course, she would be beautiful like her mom and as brilliant as her dad. They decided to name her Adeline after Maggie's brother. Maggie talked to her unborn child constantly, but she never felt the baby move. She kept obsessing about the curse. She felt guilty for even daring to have a child. What if they'd read the sonogram incorrectly? What if she was a he? When she was five months pregnant, Maggie demanded another sonogram. It took a long time to find the heartbeat. Finally, the nurse said brightly, Congratulations, it's a boy. The doctor had misread the first video. This time there was no doubt. Maggie started weeping. Anthony felt sick, but he tried to console her. There was still a chance, a 50% chance, that their son wouldn't have the defective gene. He tried to paint that picture of a healthy, thriving boy. Maggie only saw her brother. They emptied their savings to spend $3,000 on genetic tests. They didn't tell anyone until they were sure. Weeks later, the results confirmed their fears. Maggie was a carrier of the disease, and their child had the gene. 
Her family was furious. Her uncle wouldn't talk to her. Her aunt asked, how can you do this to us? By then it was too late for an abortion. Doctors told her she could have the fetus taken out right away or try to carry it to term. If the baby wasn't stillborn, they said, he would likely die at birth. Maggie didn't hesitate. She'd become attached to the life inside her. She knew this was the only chance she would have to deliver a child. She wanted to meet her son. She refused to have a baby shower. She didn't buy a crib or even diapers. She was sure she would never be able to bring her boy home. When their baby was born on December 14, 2013, doctors told Maggie and Anthony to let him die. He would never be able to eat, sit up, or cry out loud. He couldn't even breathe on his own. Maggie, then 26, and Anthony, 25, clung to each other, sobbing. They screamed at everyone who kept asking, we won't take our son off life support. Please do whatever you have to, Maggie begged. He's here. He's ours. We have to try to keep him alive. Doctors at St. Joseph's Children's Hospital in Tampa pressed on their son's sunken chest, trying to force air into his lungs. The nurses swept him away in a sea of towels and tubes out of the dark delivery room into the bright hall. Maggie and Anthony didn't get to hold him that day or even take a photo. For the next week, they hovered over his plastic cube in the neonatal intensive care unit, willing him to move a finger, wiggle a foot, at least open his eyes. They stared at his black curls, long eyelashes and pale lips. They counted his perfect toes. They gave him a name, the name of a fighter, a leader, Lincoln. In the hospital, Maggie and Anthony read everything they could find about the diagnosis. Doctors had learned so much in the years since Adam had died. The broken gene is called MTM1 and is carried on the X chromosome. Since girls have two X chromosomes, the good one overrides the bad. But boys only have one X chromosome, so if the gene is defective, they inherit the disease. Only 1 in 50,000 boys has the condition. The only way to diagnose it is with a muscle biopsy. The disease prevents prevent production of a protein called myotubularin. Muscles are intact, but without the protein, can't communicate with the brain. The boys' minds usually are fine, but they're trapped in bodies they can't make move. A few boys with the disease had survived into their teens. Most die by their second birthdays. Still no treatment, no cure. Maggie and Anthony didn't know yet about the manager of Guns N' Roses, the NFL star, or the mice in France. They hadn't heard about the venture capitalists or clinical trials. They had no idea that while their son was tethered to machines in Florida, researchers on the other side of the country were studying the same condition in animals and fixing puppies who had been doomed to die. Maybe Lincoln would be lucky. He was born just as research, money, and medicine were braiding to repair rare genetic disorders. For the first time in nearly two decades, the federal government was considering approving controversial treatments that would alter human DNA. Could Lincoln live long enough for science to come up with a cure? Maggie got to hold Lincoln for the first time when he was eight days old. Nurses untangled all his wires, moved the machines, and lowered him gently into her arms. She sat as still as she could, careful not to jostle the spaghetti-sized lifelines taped to his face and belly, terrified she might hurt him. She cradled him, smelling his sweet, soft skin, feeling his heart beating against hers. Mommy's got you, she cooed, like any new parent. Daddy's here. We won't let anything happen to you. After a few minutes, she felt her baby relax in her arms. The monitor showed his heart rate slowing. Maybe he knows me, she thought. 
Then finally, her son opened his eyes. They were brown. Lincoln's lungs were too weak to take in an affair, so when he had survived a month, doctor op- doctors opened his throat and inserted a breathing tube. He couldn't swallow, so doctors plugged a feeding tube into his stomach. Every few hours, someone had to put drops in his eyes since it was hard for him to blink. Every few minutes, someone had to suction the mucus from his nose and saliva from his mouth so he wouldn't choke. Flashing red and blue numbers tracked his breathing, heart rate, and blood pressure. Maggie and Anthony got used to the hiss of oxygen, the bleeps of monitors, the hum of the feeding pump. But every time an alarm went off, Maggie was sure Lincoln was going to die. Some people urged them to put their son in a nursing home. They wouldn't consider it. We can do this, Anthony kept saying. We have to, Maggie agreed. At five winks, Lincoln was stable enough that Maggie and Anthony could go back to their apartment for a real shower. They kissed their boy and promised they would be right back. January 22nd, 2014, just after 2 a.m., Maggie remembers the exact moment. She was drying her hair, scrolling through Facebook on her phone when she came across a new YouTube video with only nine views. A silver-haired man wearing a striped tie was talking in front of a wall covered with diplomas. Words beneath him said, Gene therapy defeats muscle disease in tests. Maggie watched for three minutes. She saw a 12-week-old black Labrador wriggling on a tile floor. It looked like a beanbag and was unable to stand. A label below said, XLMTM dog. In the next scene, filmed weeks later, the same puppy was running around, wagging his tail and playing tug-of-war with a towel. The scientist on the video said, this has never happened before in these fatal disorders. Maggie fell to her knees. Anthony, she shrieked, come see this. That was chapter one. That was pretty damn good, Lane. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) I think we've read that chapter so many times that it was kind of an interesting thing to just sit back now. And, and hear it this way, because we've been working on pieces of it and rehashing it and doing 10, a lot of different edits, things. Yes, yeah. all kinds of things. So, um, so in the last podcast, you and John talked about how you got onto this story and all of that. Um, so let me start by saying that when I came to work here at the Times, which was last August, um, August of 2017, one of the things Lane said to me was, come work here because you can help me with, you know, this big project. It's, it's, it's the best story of my career and, and all of this. And what she had at that moment were like all these notebooks just piled up. And um, um, so we, you know, obviously she kept reporting and kept reporting until we got to a place where we had an ending for the story, which is where we needed to go. And then, and then we were faced with what to do here and, and how to organize this behemoth. of a Yeah, we waited like a year for an ending. We did. We waited another year for an ending. And um, and then, you know, what to do with this thing and, and, and where do you start this story? So, um, uh, and I will say that, I mean, obviously everybody's not going to get an opportunity to do a story this involved or this long. But a lot of the things that we brought to this story are the things that we bring to every story are some thinking about, what is the story? What are we really trying to accomplish? And we talk a lot about structure, even when we're doing a quick turn story. You know what? There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. 
Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. How are we going to build this thing together, right? And how, how's it going to play out? So uh, this story had two really distinct sort of narrative threads. One was the story of Lincoln, which we've just introduced. So that's uh, day one, part one, was really about we want you to meet Lincoln and we want you to fall in love with his family who is about to go on this journey. And then the second part was the science, which we'll get into. Um, and there was a thread to that. There was sort of the storyline to that, how the science actually married with up with Lincoln's life. Um, so, and then started braiding those, those, uh, those two together and like not to think that so so you don't think that we have this great organization and we're so f- together we 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 thought of the plan for this story sitting around Lane's desk one afternoon as we were noodling what the hell to do here and we just then we got into my office we got on a whiteboard we just started like throwing stuff I, on the board I think you said like do you have an outline and I was like no and you were like let's make one <laughs> <laughs> I don't really like outlines but we had way too much I had 42 legal pads of notes yeah. and another dozen folders of information about all kind of things. So yeah, I was like totally drowning in like, what do we do with this mountain of information? And we had several places we thought we could start. And in fact, this isn't where we started. Um, we first started with Lincoln being born. And we thought, well, we want to get you right into the challenge of this series. You know, we want to get you involved in the whole idea. Can they keep him alive? Can they keep him alive? And then we... Um, spent some time with our contributing editor, who's Neil Brown, at the, uh, who's now president of the Pointer Institute, but had been here, editor of the Times, when this series first got underway. So he's very connected to it, still very much, you know, into it and, and was going to hang with us the whole way. Um, and he was like, no, don't like that. Um, he, he felt like this story really was the story of the curse. In fact, that's what we had called it, you know that this was the story of this family and that Maggie, who you'll meet through these chapters and gets to know better, is really, even more than Lincoln, um, much more of the star character in a way because um, it's her family and, and she's had to live with this her whole life and she understood what was going to happen. I think that was a big kind of a breakthrough for me in terms of how I was thinking about the story because I really thought it was Lincoln's story, you know, from the beginning. Mm. But First of all, he's a teeny tiny little guy. Second of all, he can't talk. Right. And and third of all, he can't really process what's going on around him. So once we kind of landed on it, it's really not Lincoln's story. It's Maggie's, Maggie's story. story. Yeah. Then that made it a lot easier. So we went, we tried another version where we kind of started with the curse very quickly and went back to Lincoln being born. And Neil said, no, wrong. Bah. <laughs> um, try again. And so then we started with a, just a straight chronology. So this story is actually a very straight chronology. It starts with Adam being born and the family curse getting discovered. And from there, it was like, OK, how far are we going to take this first installment? Where are we going to take you? And originally, or I, there's so many iterations now, I can't remember, but we had we had taken you a little farther than this. We had gone, we'd brought Lincoln home, and we, they'd gotten settled and all of that, and, and we kept, you know, changing where we were starting and changing where we were ending, and so we ended up ending on them finding this video. And this video is really a key driver to the whole series. The video was the first time they had hope. Yeah. And Maria knows I love hope. Yeah, Lane loves hope. <laughs> Without hope, Lane just just falls apart. The story needs hope. So, 
Anyway, and then, you know, one of the things that we always talk about and we've talked about on the podcast is how, we, you know, we like to think about the one word, you know, thematically. What is what are we trying to do with this story? What does his story represent? Um, and every time I heard Lane talk about this story, I was just fascinated by the fact that this boy born in any other era really has no hope. There is no chance for him. But he happens to be born now. And he's born at a time when, like, I mean, really, miraculously, science has advanced so quickly from where it was just even 20 years ago that they can now figure out there's that place on the gene and here's how we might treat it. And as you'll see, and what what Lane read in this installment is like all of this stuff happens and all this stuff is going on that they don't even know about. Um, So our word actually became lucky, you know. Maybe he would be lucky because, and we had actually written into the story, right? Um, because other kids who had this years ago wouldn't have had this opportunity. And he, you know, he has it, maybe. It's there, you know? Um, it's still, there's a long way to go. That's why we wrote eight parts. <laughs> but, um, <clears throat> but you know, you'll, you'll see that that's sort of what we're going to try to show you in, in the stories to come. Right? We didn't debate any other words. I was thinking what, what else we talked about in terms of... Well, I had hope, and that became <clears throat> the second part. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Tune in tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> and you'll notice um, we, we, we felt very clever. You know, when we started organizing this thing, we actually gave each installment a two-word title, right? Because we'd like, okay, we got to make this just, I think, more for us. But actually, it is what each installment is now now called, even though we've changed the words a little bit here and there. But... You know, so the curse, and then tomorrow's the hope, and the boy, and the and the science. So, um, and it helped us, I think, to sort of organize our thoughts in terms of. And you know, we've talked about this here in the podcast too. Even when you're doing a short story, if it, and or certainly shorter than this, you know, you 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 segment your story into thinking of it in chapters in a way, and you're and you're thinking about what this part of the story is trying to do as you move to the next chapter and the next chapter. And in case you guys are wondering, each of these chapters reigns in about 2,000 words. I mean, they're not all exactly the same, but each chapter is about as long as a a Sunday story that we'd normally write. Right. Of course, we have a new system here we are using to NCS, and we put all these stories in it, and they all turned out to be miraculously 60 inches, which is not what happened, really. That's not what they are, but the system was telling us that. And we weren't even really going to make them all similar lengths. We didn't think about it, but... Having those, like you said, having those titles and those kind of the buckets, like, okay, this chapter, we're going to put a lot of science in here. This chapter, we're going to put a whole lot of Lincoln growing up here. And that helped a lot. Um, and we had, um, oh, well, I said, well, the, the longest one is, I think, is 2,800. So some of the, you're going from about 2,000 to 2,800. And, man, we feel really lucky to work here because uh, they're running this in print every day. Depending on how long it is, it's either going to take two pages, it's going to take three pages, it's going to take four pages. And they're accommodating the story. You know, we, we're not having to, to shove it into whatever space they think should be allotted each day. They're letting it go. So anyway. Um, I'm going to say one more thing as a disclaimer, just in case anyone's wondering. I worked on other stories during these three yes. years. <laughs> this <laughs> is the only thing she's been doing. Think this is all I've been doing for three years. <laughs> Don't forget she went and covered Stormy earlier this year. So <laughs> she's been doing other things. Um Anyway, and when you, one of the debates we had was how far to get in the chronology, right? And, and also in what was important to us here was making them characters. So at one point we had a lot more about their life. Some, well, actually, we started with very little about their couplehood, 
right? And then we added more, and then we drew it back. We had a long courtship, and then we kind of, like, truncated the courtship. But the other thing I think, and and you guys probably know this already, but making a timeline, like making a physical chronology. We were even referring back to that this morning, making corrections. It helped so much to have a super-duper detailed timeline of the moment that um, Maggie's brother was born up until our story was going to end. And you had you had two, really, because you had the gene therapy timeline, too. So you had the timeline of everything that happened. Well, you had a timeline of your reporting. You had a timeline of their life story. And we had a timeline of gene therapy. So we had all these timelines going because a and lot a of And a clinical this, trial timeline. Yeah. So a lot of this is, you know, we're, again, they're like, there are two storylines. One is the science and research, and one is Lincoln. And at the end, they're, toward the end, they come together. And so... There are two chronologies that Lane's working with. One is what, you know, she's going to, as you'll see in the next podcast or listen in the next podcast, you'll see where we start back on how the research got going. Um, But yeah, that was very helpful. It was very helpful. And the organization that, you know, you've talked about in the past and how you do your notebooks, but you were able to put them into buckets as well. Right. And when we had this, once we had the titles and the buckets, we were able to kind of mirror those with the timeline too and say, okay, chapter one is going to last up through the first six weeks of his life. Okay, mm-hmm. chapter three is going to be six weeks to two years old. You know, right. we, we were able to break down his lifetime within the chapters too and then kind of weave the science in there. And one thing that's interesting to me, and I don't know if you, it, but we did not sit with Lane's notebooks. We weren't sitting in an office with all of her notebooks trying to figure out what to do with them. We were picking her brain. I mean, we were literally just sitting there like, what... Do you find most interesting about this? So you've been reporting this for all this time. What comes to the forefront? What do you What do you want to make sure that we get across? Who needs to be there? Who are the characters that you're really wed to? Um, what are the What are the scenes? I mean, we didn't get into a deep dive on scenes then because she did go back to her notebooks for that. We made a list of those too, though yeah. scenes and characters. Yeah, right. And so you you knew, for instance, that you had, and this again we. Lane wasn't on this story when Lincoln was born, so that some of the scenes are recreated. But you had talked to them about the day he was born, and so you had that scene. They had home videos that we were able to watch from right. the time in the hospital. And you had the scene of her her recounting the scene of finding the dog video. Yes, right. and and I interviewed her aunt who raised her, and initially her birth mother as well, who could kind of recreate a bit about Adam before Maggie was even born. Right. So you had all that, all those things kind of going for you, but. It, I mean, it's to me, it's interesting because I think people do kind of drown in their notebooks. And we're like, we really did this in an hour in my office on a whiteboard, just like, okay, how could we do this? Where would we start? What would that first chapter be like? Then how do we weave in the next, what's the next one? And how do we hand off from one to the other? And, you know, and again, she identified the people that she thought meant the most that clearly would play a starring role in some of these installments. Um, and that got us pretty far down the pike. Well, and I think other editors would be, you know, more likely to go, how do you, th- how are you thinking about organizing this? What do you got? You know, and I would go home and freak out about it for a couple hours and then try to give you something. And this was more like, let me sit with you and hold your hand and talk this through. It was almost mm-hmm. like you were interviewing me about my story. Right. And that was incredibly helpful because it, it made me think without just flipping through notebooks, you know. Yeah. Because the story wasn't really in your notebook. Was, I mean, it was really was this sort of it was a hope. It, the story for you was hope. It's always been hope. It's always been hope. Right. And and this boy is adorable, as you'll meet and, and see as we go along. And this family is really amazing. They, they were, um, and you talked about that with John, but the access they gave you, the kind of cutting themselves open and just letting you see them 
exposed and I've been doing this for 30 years I've never had a family let me in that deeply and include me that much in their lives I mean she was calling me texting me having me over weekends middle of the night you know I'd wake up to Maggie I'd go to bed with Maggie and she was also an incredible uh prolific social media person which any of you guys have ever had to report about somebody who's like always on Facebook oh my god it was like I just moved into the bedroom next door you know right yeah she kept up a lot but that was and that was a challenge too because you kept reporting. You were still reporting. Things were happening. We had to get it moving though. Even it's interesting. Even Maggie was giving Lane a hard time about. Aren't you going to start writing at some point here? <laughs> like, don't they pay you to write? Um, but you know, we 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 had to figure out where this was going to go. And we'll tell you. And this is what we have not. We've always preached to you guys to have an ending in mind. We wrote this series. We were thinking about this series, and we organized it without our ending in mind. Because we didn't have an ending. Originally, our very first idea to start the whole series was going to be start at the end. Right. And then we didn't have an end. So we were like, oh, we better go all the way back to the very, 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 very beginning. Well, and then and the, and, what, and what got us off of that, too, is that we didn't want to give away. You know, we were thinking, okay, we're going to take you out close to the finish and then start with that. But there were so many great moments of suspense and tension and drama that played out over these last few years that if we had gotten you to the closer to the finish you wouldn't go along with the you know that ride we were giving up a lot of the ride and the ride is is the story you know when I also and don't tell your editors we said this but um (laughs) editors are also always like you know start writing while you're reporting I could never have started to write the story while I was reporting because the lows that felt like lows at the beginning became merely little troughs by the end right you know and there was so much changed through the course of it the times that I thought would be the nadir ended up being not so bad compared to what was going to come down the road next. You know? Oh, well, and how many, you know, you came back a lot of times with a scene that was really captivating and you were excited about and we were sure was going to end up there. And then it just got trumped by something else or or just like there was two, you know, and we'll talk about this a little more. But, you know, you reported a lot of scenes that had a similar feel to it because so much is going on. And we tried really hard to not know to get you somewhere fresh each time you're going along these stories so. I mean a kid that never leaves his bed it's kind of hard there weren't, weren't a whole lot of different scenes except for always oh, in the hospital you know so yeah that was yeah. a challenge yeah um, anything else before we sign off on this one we've gone a little longer than usual sorry about that but uh, no, come back for part two okay come back for part two all right so if you have a question for Lane about this series um, it, please email it to writelane at tampabay.com that's w-r-i-t-e-l-a-n-e at tampabay.com and join us next week on Wednesday morning as we continue to discuss Lincoln's shot this podcast was produced by Monica Herndon music was composed and performed by Dan DeGregory thanks for listening imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt now imagine them getting even softer over time that's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.